Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. done and so I want to invite you to come and join us tonight at six o'clock all right okay well here's what we're doing we are in a series we are in week four of a series called you ask for it and for those of you that are first time with us uh, or maybe have been with us for a while but have never been in this series essentially what we do every year around Easter or on Easter is we take a survey we ask you what would you like us to talk about What are your most pressing questions that you have about the Bible, about your faith, about Jesus, about how to live a life as a Christ follower? And so you you ask a bunch of questions, and the most popular questions are what we turned into this series. It also helps us to guide the series that we have for the rest of the year. And so we've been answering your questions because you ask for it. And so in the past few weeks, we've talked about how do we forgive. You ask, how do I be a godly parent? You also ask, hey, are we really living in the end times? And we've answered those questions the last few weeks. And then uh, in the weeks to come, you, you'll talk to me about, you said, hey, Aaron, talk to me about how do, I, how do I share my faith with somebody? And so we'll address that in the next couple of weeks. And you said, tell me about the spiritual gifts. What are those? And I'll answer that question. Today, I'm going to answer a question that I knew you were going to ask. And I love this question. I'm excited to talk about it because I knew you were going to ask it. And because... I'm excited to talk about it because many of you have a perception of or an expectation of it that is a little bit off. It's not your fault. There's a lot of myth. There's a lot of culture. There's a lot of things written on this subject that aren't necessarily biblical. And I really love to help people understand what the Bible has to say about things. And so we're going to do that today. And I'm going to answer the question you ask. Aaron, what about heaven? Tell me about heaven. Now, I knew you were going to ask this question because of this verse that's in Ecclesiastes 3. It says this, he, also, he has also set, in, or set eternity into the human heart. In other words, what Solomon, the author of this, this verse, is saying is that God placed eternity into each one of our hearts. Whether you're a Christ follower or a Christian or not, when you were created, when you were born, eternity was placed in your heart. It's like God put a seed there. And is allowing it to grow. And all of you recognize that. You all have a wondering because of this about eternity. Like what's in the afterlife? What is this life really all about and what is to come? You all have a general wondering because of this. God put it in you to wonder about that. And you guys have lots of questions about eternity, but you also have lots of questions about heaven. One of the questions you ask uh, and that, that I get asked all the time is, will my pets be in heaven? The answer is dogs yes, cats no. Sorry, that's the way it is. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Oh, we all know all dogs go to heaven. We'll pray for you cat lovers. That's what I'm saying. So, uh, <laughs> no, to, to answer the question, the Bible does tell us that there will be animals in heaven. Now, I don't know if it'll be your pets or if it'll be your, your little fur babies. I hope that it is. We don't have any evidence biblically that that will be the case. But we do know there's going to be animals there. The Bible says that gives us a picture of what the animals will look like, that they live together in harmony, that the lion and the lamb lay together in heaven. In other words, the lion gets saved and loses its 
carnivorous appetite. It can hang out with a lamb and not touch it, all right? Then you, you'd ask questions like, why does heaven have gates? Is it in a bad neighborhood or something? What's the deal with that? Why does it need gates if it's, if it's heaven, <laughs> all right? I get asked questions about, will we be married in heaven? The answer is no. You, you won't be married in heaven. Jesus said that when we get to heaven, we won't be married or given in marriage. So there won't be anybody that's already married, and there won't be anybody getting married, is what Jesus said. Some of you are like, man, that, that makes me really sad. Others of you are like, man, that sounds like heaven to me. I can't wait. Let's get there. Can we go there now? Can we get to heaven now? And for those of you that that's your case, we have a marriage series every February that's just for you, all right? So you can listen to the one or come back in February. We'll talk to you about that, all right? And then some of you ask, will we have, <laughs> will we have wings like the angels in heaven? That's your question. The answer is no. there's no biblical evidence of that. We do have evidence that we'll be able to travel quickly, but it's not necessarily going to be because we have wings. That's not going to be the case. That's more tradition and myth that has been sent out. We've got little uh, baby angels that are naked shooting arrows, you know, and we we think when we get to heaven that we're going to have a halo and wings and a robe and long flowy hair. Like, you know, that's just not what it's, that's not the case. A full head of hair, right? For some of you, that sounds like heaven. I want to go back there and take me now. (laughs) <laughs> you ask, also ask questions like, will there be any other music in heaven besides harp music? Honestly, that sounds like hell to me. That's, that, that sounds terrible. No, there will be other music in heaven. It's not just going to be us playing on harps, bling, you know, like it's, that's not, that's not going to be the case. That's just a myth. You also ask, will there be sports in heaven? Now, this is a great question because the answer is relatively unknown, but I do have to tell you. When you look at the biblical description of heaven, there's an awful lot of blue and gold. It's almost like God is a Golden State fan. And I'm not sure, given how well they've been playing lately, I would say that maybe he is. I mean, he does have Steph Curry and Kevin Durant, who are believers on the team. I'm just tossing that out there. (laughs) Then you ask, will heaven be boring? No, that's the short answer. Some of you think that heaven is going to be like, we just sit around in the clouds all day long. We just rest and nap. We play our harp. We sing. That sounds great. But for eternity, that sounds boring. That, that sounds overrated. And, and so the answer is no. That, that's, heaven will not be boring. In fact, heaven, if you really understood heaven and what it was going to be like, I think you'd want to be there today. That, that's, that's the truth of it. And the Bible has a lot to say about heaven. And what it has to say about heaven is probably quite different than what you thought about it and what you've heard about it what different religions have had to say about it, even what current culture has to say about it. So today I'm going to give you a little bit of theology. I'm going to give you some doctrine. I'm going to share some scriptures with you to help you get a picture of what heaven is going to look like, all right? And so let's start with a verse that we looked at last week, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18. It says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you'll not grieve like people who have no hope. That little line, we want you to know, means that there's something else that the people that they're writing to believe. They're writing this letter, hey, we want you to know. They're battling a condition, a thought process that the people that that they're writing to have. They're discouraged. They have no hope. They feel like because their loved ones have passed on that they'll never get to see them again. So they're writing and saying, listen, you're not like those people who have no hope. That's not your case. And they know that that if they think differently, then they'll 
act differently. So they say, for since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, which by the way, that's what we talked about last week. We talked about the end times, like are we living in the last days? And if you missed that message, just know that the short answer is yes, I believe that we are. I think we're living in the last days. And even if you don't agree with me about all the signs that are happening that the Bible wrote about, even if you don't believe that, I can at least tell you that you're living in your last days because the Bible says tomorrow is not promised to anybody. That, that we're a vapor, we're here and gone. And so that you're living in your last days. And so he says when Jesus returns, because he is coming back, and that's what we talked about, that's the beginning of the end, is Jesus' return. It says that God will bring back with him the believers who have died. And I love this. I love this picture, that God is so relational. You have to see this. That at the beginning of the end, the very first thing God does, because he loves us so much and he loves people, is schedules the largest family reunion that you've ever seen. That when Jesus steps through the, splits the sky and steps out onto it and calls his people home, he brings every, every one of the believers with him that have passed on into eternity. He brings them with him, and it goes on to say, and we tell you this directly from the Lord, we who are still living with the Lord, when the Lord returns, will not meet him ahead of those who died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. Basically, there's going to be a loud yell. I'm not sure if it's like sloth from the Goonies, hey, you guys. Like, I mean, that's just really funny. I think that'd be great if that's what Jesus did. But there'll be a shout, and there's going to be a trumpet. And when you hear that, it's time to go. Get on out of here. Come on, let's go. Jesus is going to take us. And it says, first the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. And you say, Aaron, that confuses me because I thought you just said those that were dead come with Christ when he splits the sky. Yeah, their spirit does. Their spirit, which has been separated from their body that's been in heaven waiting for this moment, comes with Christ. But their body is raised from the dead. He says he's going to raise them up and rejoin them together. That's kind of creepy. That's kind of crazy. It's fantastic. And it says, then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. So I'm here to encourage you today. I'm here to encourage you that if you understood heaven, if you really knew what it was going to be like, you'd want to be there today. And I'm going to bet that there are things about heaven that you don't know. One of the first things is, is that, do you know the Bible talks about two different heavens? Some of you that really like this kind of stuff just sat up in your chair. Tell me more, Aaron. There are two different heavens that exist. Right now, there's a, there's a heaven that we all understand where our lost loved ones are resting. That is what the Bible describes as an intermediate heaven. It is a place, Jesus and Paul called it paradise, where spirits are currently resting in heaven. But that's not the heaven that you and I will be in forever. In fact, Jesus, when he talked to the two thieves that were on the cross as Jesus was being crucified, he's hanging there and there's two thieves that are being, being crucified next to him. They were dying for the, for the uh, crimes that they had committed. One was like mocking Jesus and making fun of him. And the other one believed in Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, hey, Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him and said, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now your Bible's written in two different languages. The Old Testament, which is everything before Jesus, is written in Hebrew. 
The New Testament, which is everything from Jesus' birth on, is written in Greek. And that word paradise there literally means if I were to paint you a picture, it means like a park or like a place that you would go to have a picnic. A place that you would spend some time to be restored, to be re-energized, much like a, a rest stop. I don't know if you've driven along the highway down down into West Virginia, but they have some beautiful rest stops. Now, not all rest stops are awesome. I mean, like, the second you pull onto the lot, the urine, like, smell hits you in the face. You know what I'm saying? But in West Virginia, I, I saw, we just got, came back from vacation. There was these beautiful rest stops that were nestled up into some hills, and there was a lot of fields and an areas for you to rest. And I thought, man, this is what, this is what heaven was supposed to be like. A place, it's a place to stop on your way to the next place. That's what the current heaven is all about. And you say, no, no, Aaron, I've heard about heaven. There's lots of clouds. There's lots of mansions. Listen, we get that from the verse in John 14 that says, in, in my father's house there are many mansions. And so we all believe that when we get to heaven, we've got these big mansions that we're going to have. And let me tell you something. The word mansion, it's only used in this one place, is the, the Greek word monet. And do you know what it really describes and the, the feel of that word? We call it, they translate it mansions, but it really means like a hotel or a lodge. It's a resting place. It's, it's a temporary lodging. And so that's what heaven is right now. Right now, there are plenty of our lost loved ones that are living in heaven. They dwell there now. But that heaven is not our eternal resting place. Jesus even said, I'm going to prepare you a place. Why are you going to prepare me a place if heaven's already here? It's because the place that he's preparing for us is not the current heaven. In Revelation 21, it describes what heaven is going to look like. So what's this other place, you may ask, this new heaven? Here's what it says. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. In other words, the Bible tells us that, that in the end, everything burns. Heaven and earth burn. They're refined by a fire, and we wind up with a new heaven and a new earth. And you'll notice that they're combined together. Because currently there's heaven and there's earth. There's a separation of the two. Heaven is where our lost loved ones dwell and where the spirit, or where God himself lives. His spirit dwells within us, but God and Jesus live there now. But they put them together here in Revelation 21 because heaven and earth are going to be in the same place. Heaven will be here on this earth. You say, well, where is that going to be? I'm not sure. We believe it should be the same place that Jerusalem is. But that's where the city of heaven will be and then the rest of the earth will be here. It'll be a perfected earth, much like the Garden of Eden, what Adam and Eve would have experienced. It would be the same earth that you experience now, just perfected, just sinless, just without corruption. We're not all going to be floating around in the sky all day long. We're going to be here enjoying earth in its perfected forms. And so there's, there's also this city, that's what the new heaven is, this city that Jesus would dwell in called the New Jerusalem. And so you'll have the opportunity to go to Jerusalem and visit Jesus and then come back to Ohio, go to California, go wherever you'd like to enjoy all of God's creation. So what about heaven? What does the Bible say? Well, if you're taking notes today, write these down. If you're not taking notes, go ahead and write them down anyway. It says heaven, the first thing you need to know is that heaven is a real place. It's a very real place. It's not a state of mind. It's not a peace that you obtain. It's not a celestial retirement home. Heaven is an actual place. In fact, the Bible measures it. This new heaven looks like this. It says in Revelation 21, 14, the city was laid out like a square, more like a cube, I would say, as long as it is wide 
And he measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia. Now, if we were to convert that into something we understand, that's 1,400 miles. 1,400 miles square. That's the city. So it's, it's square that way and that high. That's how tall it is. And it's in, in, it, in the, this city, in this new heaven, are the streets of gold that you've heard about. Gold so pure that you can see through it. Gates made out of a single pearl. And this is the beautiful heaven where Jesus will dwell that is here on earth, in our new earth. The second thing you need to know is that heaven is a right place. Heaven is a real place and heaven is a right place. That everything that's here on earth will be made right. There'll be no pain, there'll be no sickness, there'll be no terrorism, there'll be no insurance, there'll be no traffic, there'll be no Michigan fans, at least I think. The hot light at Krispy Kreme will always be on and the line at Chipotle will always be short. This is heaven. It'll be a right place. Revelation 21.4 says, he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Now, many of you here today, you're in love with that old order. The way things are today, you're in love with it. But you better brace yourself because the Bible says that that old way of doing things, that old order is going to pass away. And the new order is going to come into place. And I promise you, the new order is what you want. The third thing that we see in Scripture is that heaven is a relational place. In heaven, you'll find that, that you'll be able to enjoy your relationships. You'll be able to enjoy people. You say, well, Aaron, if that's the case, why won't we be married? Well, the Bible's not really clear on that. But I can tell you that, the, that Jesus is described as the bridegroom of Christ, of the church. Excuse me. Jesus is described as the bridegroom of the church. And we are the church. In other words, that there's this relationship, this marriage relationship between the church. That's us and Jesus. That means that when we get to heaven, it's likely those relational needs, those emotional needs, that need we have to be connected with someone else will be fulfilled because of our relationship with Jesus. That's, that's the best thing I can offer you as far as an explanation as to why we won't be married in heaven is because the church will be married to Christ. We'll be, we'll, he will meet all of those needs. He is all that we ever need. And so we'll have a relationship with Jesus and we'll have a relationship with our family. We'll be able to enjoy our friends. We'll, and we'll also have a direct relationship with God. Now, currently, you're like, where is God? I can't find him. I don't know where he is. I, 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 don't, I don't know how to get to him. But when we get to heaven, that's not going to be his nature. He will dwell with us. He will be with us there. You'll have a direct relationship with him. Revelation 21.3 says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God, which is heaven, by the way, will be with men. And he will live with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. Listen, I don't know if you understand this. But you and I were made for him. He took great pleasure to create us. He loves us. He is passionate about us, and he is passionate about us in every form and way that he has made us. That means in every, every ethnicity, every skin tone that he has made us, every, every physical feature that belongs to different people, God loves that feature. God loves the way that you are made and the way that we are different from each other. He, in fact, is the one who created those differences, and he loves them. He loves them. And so when there is no group of people that God loves more in heaven, he unites us all. 
Why am I saying that? Because I think there's plenty of us that still hold on to some racism. And you better get over your racism now because the Bible tells us this, that in Revelation 22, on each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now that word nations is the word ethnos. It means ethnicities. It means that God is going to unite us all. It doesn't mean that he's going to change us all. I think we have this perception that because we're going to get a glorified body, that we're all going to be tall with blonde hair and be white. That's not going to be the case. That's, again, just cultural. That's just a myth. You're going to look exactly how you look, but with a glorified body. Maybe I'll be thinner with a six-pack. I'm not sure. I hope so. I hope so. But you're going to look like you and I'm going to look like me. And so you need to get over your racism now. You need to get to a place where you begin to love the people that God so loved. Because guess what? They're going to be there. You say, well, if they're going to be there, I don't want to be there. Guess what? You won't be. So don't worry about it. All right? Here we go. Love you, mean it. Love you. Fourth thing you need to know about heaven is that it is a rewarding place. It's a rewarding place. This should be motivation for you. Is motivation for me because there's a reward that God wants to give us when we enter into heaven. It's for you and it's for me. And I don't know about you, but when I get to heaven, I want God to look at me and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what I want him to say to me when I get there. I want him to, to say that to me. See, you need to understand that God's work for me was Jesus. That he gave me Jesus. He offered me salvation, which was eternity in heaven, which was forgiveness, redemption, healing, hope, joy, peace. He gave all these things for me, gave them all to me in Jesus for free. They're not anything I could earn. They're not anything I deserve. God just gave it to me because he loved me. and He's given it to you as well. And in response to that incredible gift, in response to the work that he has done for me, the only reasonable response for me is to surrender my life and live my life for him. Surrender to his love and live every day for him. And that's why I want to seek him out in everything that I do. I want to seek him out every single day. And the Bible says that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He's a rewarder. Check it out. God's looking forward to rewarding you. Revelation 22, 12 says, Behold, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me, and I'll give everyone according to what he has done. In other words, Jesus, when he splits the sky and he comes back, he's bringing his reward for you with him. He's not leaving it back at heaven. He can't wait to give it to you. He's so excited to reward you for the work that you've done, for the way that you've lived your life, that he's going to bring it with him. Here, I just can't wait. You ever had a gift for somebody you just couldn't wait to give to him? Like around Christmas time, you get a good gift for somebody, you just can't wait. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not waiting until Christmas. I'm bringing it with me now. I'm going to give it to him. I want to bless him. That's Jesus. He wants to reward you now. And that word reward is repayment. It, is, it means repayment for all that we did in his name. And that means that, yeah, every time you love someone, every time you visited someone who was sick or in jail, or every time you gave a word of encouragement, or every time you serve someone, or every time you express your love to him through worship and song, or showed up on a Sunday morning and, and, and bent your ear to seek him in prayer, reading his word, gathering together on a Sunday morning to hear it. Every time you did that, every time you sought him, he wants to reward you for that. 
He wants to reward you for putting your life in a posture of seeking after him. He's got something for you. You don't deserve it. That doesn't matter. He's doing it anyway. That's who he is. He's a rewarder. And God wants to bless you. I want you to know that. And that's why in Matthew 16 it says, For the Son of Man is going to come back, is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. He's coming back, y'all. And then he will reward each person according to what he has done. So what do we do? What do we do in response to what heaven's all, 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 all about? It's simple. I think we need to live for eternity. That's what we need to do. You say, well, how do we do that? How do we live our whole lives focused on heaven? Because I think a lot of us live our lives focused on this life now. Like if you were to look at this rope, and this rope was the expanse of eternity from past to beginning. This, this is all of it. And this little blue line here represents all of humanity, the spans of humanity, this time here on this earth in its fallen state. Most of us forget about eternity that stretches out before us. Now, if this was eternity, this rope would be never ending. It would be much longer, too, but this is what I could find at the house. Don't judge my life. But many of us focus on the little blue line. We focus on the smallest part of what our life is going to be when the majority of our life will be spent in heaven with God. We focus here and now, and what we understand about here and now is that it's temporary. It's, it's absolutely temporary. And so we need to focus on our eternity, not on our life now, because if you just focus on this, if this is the end all be all, that's depressing. That's sad. And that's not what God wants us to do. And so what do we do? To be encouraged, it says, for the grace of God, this is Titus 2, for the grace of God has been revealed. That's Jesus, by the way. Bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed. In other words, after we get saved, after Jesus saves us, gives us salvation, forgiveness, eternity in heaven, he's got some instructions for us on the way we ought to live our life. And he says, we're instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. Now, this word sinful pleasures doesn't always mean bad things. It just, sin actually means when we sin, it's we miss the mark. In other words, God has a best for us, and when we don't live out his best for us, we miss the mark. And so that means that some of the sinful pleasures we have are not bad, they're just misguided. They're not in alignment with what God's best is for us, and so they're not the bad mark, they're just the wrong mark. And Jesus, and God, and Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to turn away from those things, he says, we should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. Why? Because he's coming back. And while we look forward with the hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. So how do we do that? Well, there's three things I'm going to share with you as we, quick, as we come to a close today. The first thing you need to do is refocus your energies. Refocus your energy. You need to look where you're going, not where you are now. You need to live this life like a loose garment. You wear it, you use it, but you're not attached to it, if that makes any sense. The Bible describes us as Christ followers, as aliens and strangers in this land, that we are citizens of heaven, that we don't belong here. And we need to live our lives with everything pointed to heaven. And to do that means leveraging everything in our life for eternal purposes. That's how we refocus our energies. We need to use everything that we have towards an eternal purpose. Well, what's eternal? What's everlasting? 
It isn't your stuff. It isn't your video games or your Netflix account. It's not the sports that you follow or that you play. It isn't the job that you have. It isn't the money that you have in the bank. What's eternal? Well, people. In fact, when you read your Bible, the only thing that makes it from this earth into heaven is the people. That's the people sitting right next to you right now. People. They make it to eternity. And if we're to focus on eternal things and gear our life towards an eternal purpose, that means that our focus needs to be on people. That we have to have a focus of reaching lost people, spending our energies reaching lost people. Living with everything pointed at heaven means leveraging your life for eternal purposes. Look, there are really great ways to do this, but there are very simple ways to do this as well. For me, I I live my life with intentionality in my relationships, even to the smallest ones. And some of you can do the same. Some of you frequent places a lot. Some of you go to a Starbucks a lot. You go to the bank a lot. You go to a Chipotle a lot. Learn people's names. Create relationships with them. I'm going to tell you, I do this. I still, I, I insist on going to the bank and doing the deposit, which they've recently taken away from me. But that's, that just gives me a reason to go in. I refuse to use an ATM machine. I refuse to use a Dropbox. I want to go in and stand in front of people. And when I go into my bank, you know what? I know every one of their names. And they know my names. Because I'm being intentional about relationships, even in small things. My business relationships. And so as I walk in, I'm greeted. And I get updates on their life. I know about sicknesses that they're experiencing, sicknesses in their family. I let them know I'm praying for them. And I follow up with them. And one of them, one of them at the bank, she even keeps talking. She's like, you know what? I need to come out to your church sometime. I said, yes, you do. Come on, girl. Let's go. She might be listening right now. So, Stacy, if you're listening, I got a seat right here on the front row for you. You can hang out with me all morning long. I would love that. But listen, I'm telling you, we can be intentional in our relationships. That's a small way to do it. Make sure you treat people like like they're valuable. There's other ways you could do that. You can use your house. You can use your time. You can use your energy. You can use your car. You can leverage your money, your, your talents. You can leverage your interests and all of your efforts to reach people. Leverage every part of your life towards an eternal purpose. Because if you're not careful, guys... You're going to fall in love with this earth and everything about this earth. You're going to fall in love with your stuff. And that's a dangerous place to be. It's okay to have stuff, but it's not okay to let that stuff have you. In fact, Jesus talked about this. He says, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And so if you want your heart to be in the right place, which is in heaven with God, then you can't be in love with stuff. Jesus, you've said it this way. He said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. We have to figure out a way to make our life count for eternity. That's why we encourage people to serve. You can make your life count by making a difference in someone else's life so that they can come to know God. That's it. That's why we encourage you to serve. That's why we have the growth track to help you understand the best way that you can connect with what will make your heart sing and make a difference in someone else's life. Growth track, we do it every Sunday. First, second, third, uh, fourth Sundays of the month. That's the first, fourth, or first, second, third, and fourth steps of growth track. It happens during second service. Every Sunday, every Sunday. There's a group that'll be here second service today that are going to be connected with their team and their purpose and begin serving others. I just think that's awesome. You can do the same. 
Don't just attend church. Be a part of the team that's making a difference. Serve one service and then worship one service. Make your life count for something. Leverage it all for eternity. Not just with your stuff, but also with your heart. See, listen, you can't let the troubles of this life get you down. You can't get caught up in them. And let this life be the end all be all for you. Because this life is temporary. You need to place your heart in heaven. And that's why, why Paul said this. He understood that your heart needed to be set on something that was outside of this world. He said, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen, everything that we see now, is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. You know, your pains that you're feeling right now in your body, the pain of relationships that you're feeling right now, the losses that you're experiencing financially or maybe in a job or even in relationship or even the loss of life of a loved one, those pains that you feel even from a painful past that you're experiencing, do you understand that all of that is temporary? And yet you allow that to rule who you are. These pains are temporary. And so every day we need to refocus on where we're going, not where we are. That's what we need to do. Focus on where we're going and not where we are. That's the encouraging thing to do. Don't let the troubles that are staring you down today rob you of your joy because it's all temporary. So put your focus on eternity. Refocus your energy there. Second thing we can do in response to this is to reach people. Like, we're going we're gonna to focus all our energy to do that, and then we're actually going to reach them. Jesus asked us to do this before he left. He said, hey, listen, I need you to go out into the world and tell everybody about me. And I want you to make disciples. In other words, Christ followers. Everywhere you go. That's why our vision exists. That's people far from God. And teach them to follow Jesus step by step. That's why we exist. That's what we're here for. That's why we said, all right, listen, God. You want us to launch a church? Great, let's do it. What's it going to look like? It's going to be awesome. Oh, you want us to launch in a funeral home? Okay, that doesn't sound awesome, but that we'll do what you want us to do. And we did. We launched in a funeral home. Okay, God, we're hanging out in this funeral home. What's our next building look like? Oh, we're not going to another building. We're going to start two services. That sounds like a lot of work. Okay, God, we'll do that so that we can reach people that are far from him. Okay, God, you want us to serve and all this, the events that the city has so that we can make an impact, so that we can reach more and more people and love them. Okay, God, we'll do that. Okay, God, you want us to go on mission trips? You want us to reach out? You want us to go to other countries and be a blessing to them there? You want to do something incredible there? Okay, God, we'll go and do that. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. I went on my very first mission trip in Panama years ago. It was my first time ever out. And we went there to build a church. Now, I did not sign up for the, the construction crew. I don't know if you can look at me or not and tell, but I'm not really a guy that does construction. Better with a keyboard. <laughs> Thank you for laughing at my life. And, um, <laughs> and I signed up for the evangelism trip. The construction trip was there before us, but they, the construction trip didn't get to finish. And when we got on the ground, they said, hey, you're going to have to finish building this church. And I thought, Huh. So that's what we did. We finished that church. And they had their first, one of their first services in there once the walls got up. And I remember 12 people gave their lives to Jesus as a result of that work and of that labor. And I'm going to tell you, when I got home, on my way home, the morning that we were leaving, the night of actually, as we were leaving, I was laying in my hotel bed. I got so sick. 
Y'all, I got deathly sick. I lost three days of my life. I have no idea where they went. I've, I've never been in as much pain as I was in, just intestinal, some kind of bug. I'll save you the details and spare you from that. But I was so sick the whole flight home. And for several days, in fact, when I went to a hospital finally, the doctors called me and said, where did you get what you got? I keep calling it trichomonas. My wife says it's not trichomonas. I don't even remember the name. Camp, Campylobacter, is she in here? She's not. I don't know. They, they, the county wanted to know, hey, where, where did you get this? What, what restaurant did you eat at? I was like, I was in Panama. They said, thanks, have a great day. I hope you're feeling better. Bye. And they were done. And I'm going to tell you, at the end of that sickness, when I came out the other side of that sickness, I prayed a prayer that I'm going to, I'm going to tell you is a necessary posture and attitude for all of us. I said, God, even if I knew I was going to be this deathly sick, for 12 people to say yes to Jesus, I'd go back and do it again. If I knew that I was going to have to lay in a bed sick for three days of my life and experience all that I experienced on an 18-hour journey home on a plane, I'd do it again. That must be our posture and our attitude that we would do anything short of sin to reach God's lost kids. That's what he is preoccupied with. God is concerned about the lost. This song that we sang today, Reckless Love, is all about God's love pursuing those that are far from him. That must be an attitude that we adopt. We must reach people. In fact, Jude 1.22 says this, Be merciful to those who doubt, snatch others from the fire, and save them. Well, the Bible pleads with us over and over and over again to be reaching out to the lost. In fact, the Bible even ends with this verse. It says in Revelation twenty two seventeen, The spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. That's why we say as a church, come as you are. Come as you are. We don't care if you're broken. We're all broken too. We don't care if your life's a mess. Our life is a mess too. Do you know the difference between me and you if it's your first time here and your life is so messed up that you're ashamed, you don't want to talk about it, and maybe you even had a difficult time coming in here today because of the shame of your past or the shame of your circumstances? Let me tell you something. You know what's different between me and you? I've been here a little longer. That's it. I'm not better than you. We're all in a hospital. We've all been here just a little longer than you, and we're glad that you're here. We say, come as you are. And that's the invitation that Jesus has. Come as you are. We'll have you. Come. It doesn't matter if you've got it all together. It doesn't matter if you understand how to live for him. Come. He wants you to come. We're all messed up and saved by God's grace. The verse ends and says, whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. In other words, you're going to take a drink of something that's going to refresh you and you'll go, ah. So we're going to reach the lost at any cost because people last forever. So we're going to focus on eternity, not our here and now. Refocus our energies towards that. And we're going to reach those that are far from God. And the last thing that we need to do is from 2 Peter 3.13. It says, but in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless blameless, and at peace with him. You know, you can't do that on your own. There's no way for you to make yourself blameless, for you to make yourself spotless and to bring yourself into peace with him. You can't do that on your own. You can't do that without Jesus. And you need Jesus today. He came back. The Bible describes his story 
it ultimately says that Jesus came back or came to earth to remove the barrier that exists between us and God. You say, what barrier? Come on. Even if you're not a Christ follower, you know that barrier. You felt it. There's a longing and a seeking for a connection with that which created you. You know that barrier. You don't know how to make that connection. You don't know how to get past it, to bridge it, and get to God. And you don't have to. The Bible says that Jesus came back to bridge that gap, to remove the barrier. That with his life that he laid down when he died on the cross, his sacrifice paid the price for our sins, for our mistakes. And in doing so, the barrier was removed. We can now have relationship with God. That's what Jesus came to do. And we're all born craving that relationship. And the good news is today you can have that. You can have that. If you're still feeling that gap today because you've never had that barrier removed, or maybe you've had that barrier removed and you've walked far from God, so it feels like you can't come back, know that today Jesus paid the price for all that. That today you can be restored in a relationship with God. That's why the last thing that you can do is renew your relationship with God. Let's pray. Father, today, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the gift of salvation that you've given us. I thank you for eternity that you've given us in heaven. Lord, for those of us that love you and know you and are following you, God, we look forward to that day. Lord, I thank you for the splendor that is heaven, that the reward that you have prepared for us. God, as much as descriptive as I've tried to be, I realize that I could not even begin to describe all that you have for us the beauty and the wonder that is who you are and what you've created for us in heaven. Lord, I pray that in this moment there are many of us, God, that need, need your guidance so that we can refocus our energies, so that we can turn our lives and posture it towards eternity. Lord, help us. Give us wisdom. Give us guidance. Give us direction. Lord, I pray today that many people would make a commitment to step into growth track, to understanding their spiritual journey, to understanding how and why you put them here on this earth so they can engage with that and make a difference in other people's lives. Lord, I know that you called us to reach people. Father, put in us a heart for the lost. Lord, I know we love each other, and I'm thankful for this community that loves each other, and I get to see it play out over and over and over over and incredible demonstrations of love. I love that. But I pray above all that you would give us a love for those that are not here yet. A heart that says yes. A heart that is willing. And then Lord, I pray God that, that you would help us for those of us that are feeling that gap in our relationship with you. Lord, whether it's a real gap or whether it's just one we feel because we've been distant from you or because we haven't prayed in a while or whatever reason that gap exists today, I pray that you would just renew our relationship with you, that you would guide us back to a place of joy where we can experience our first love again with you. As we continue to pray, I know there are people in this room that need to take the first step towards the renewing of that relationship, towards removing that gap. 
And I'm going to pray a prayer in just a moment. I'll give you the words to pray. All you need to do is just mean the words. And the Bible says that the moment you confess Jesus is Lord and invite him into your life, he steps into the scene. He forgives you for all of the things that you've done. He makes you brand new and transforms you. And you are given eternity in heaven as a result. I'm going to pray the prayer. And if you want it, want that, you want a relationship with God today. Nobody's looking around. I won't make you stand up or come to the front. But would you just identify that that's you here in your seat right now? Would you just slip your hand up right now? Do that now. Yeah, do it now. Do it now. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's awesome. Do it now. That's awesome. Yeah, I see him. Thank you. Put your hands down. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of There's three people here today, guys, that I saw. Three people that said, I'm, I'm going to make this commitment today. You don't need to be embarrassed by that. In a moment, we're going to celebrate you. This is the greatest decision you're ever making in your life. I promise you that. Church, let's pray together. Nobody prays alone. Those of you that are praying this as your prayer today, mean this with all your heart. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. Forgive me of my sins. Today, I give you my life. Show me how to live for you. And I'll spend every day doing that. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Come on.